0: Welcome to the Trinity Grace Church Podcast. Trinity Grace is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. We have two services on Sunday mornings, 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. at General Seminary in the Chapel of the Good Shepherd. We would love for you to join us. For more information, go to tgcdowntown.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text.
1: A reading from John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This command I received from my Father. The Gospel of our Lord.
2: God, we pray together in New York, in this moment on a Sunday, that we'd experience something special together now. That as we open our hearts to you and to each other, that your love and your, your words and your power would flow through us healing us, moving us toward love. And we pray that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So my wife and I have uh, four children. And uh, it's hard to believe, but our youngest is already 10 months old. So we've got 13, 12, 5, and 10 months. So, you know, uh, we like gaps. We're big fans of the gap. And I think, although I just made a joke, I think we've been at this four kid thing long enough now not to have to make an apologetic joke every time we talk about our life choices, but with the experience of four children comes uh, wisdom. Um, there, there's, and that's not to tout anything other than to say you learn through trial and error. I mean, we're all winging this thing at some level and you start to accumulate some wisdom. We've gone through the process four times now of naming our children And I can remember the first time we went through this process, it was exciting. And with every child, we put a lot of energy into this, like a lot of thought, discussion, debate, and also prayer. Because names are powerful. Names mean something. We carry our names with us. Some of us love our names. Some of us hate our names. um, But our names are part of who we are. And early in the process, people would ask us with our first, what's the name? And we would share pretty readily. And we'd even share like uh, the names that we were entertaining. And we realized pretty quickly that's a mistake. Um, we'd you know, occasionally get the nice bright spot of a smile or some excitement, enthusiasm, or someone sharing an anecdote of someone that they know who shares that name, who brings joy into their life and all the rest. But we were met with other responses as well. What's the name, they'd ask. And of course, we would share and some would respond in different ways. We heard, uh, really? That was always encouraging. Um, I also really like this one. Huh. That's a good one. Every once in a while, a look of disgust would come over someone's face, and they would share a horror story anecdote of someone who they despise or, or uh, hate who shares that name and warn us not to go forward with it. But my favorite was the ever neutral, but teetering on critical, interesting. And so we made this executive decision after that, that we would not share our name of the baby until the baby arrived. And we found that was pretty wise, um, because when you're holding that bundle of beautiful in front of someone, and they're cooing and they're staring through crinkled eyes and furrowed brows, you know, Every time somehow we announced the name, it felt divine. Now, when it comes to church, we don't have that same luxury. Um, in some ways, we are that cooing bundle of beauty, right? And uh, like the process for our children, we have wrestled deeply with option after option after option of what should we call this church? And we've prayed, we've dreamed. Uh, we've brainstormed, and we formally began this process uh, last summer with a retreat with our staff and with our elders. And We knew that it was time uh, to change our name and to rebrand for the future, and the reason we knew that is because you know, our name Trinity Grace came from a family of churches that we were a part of, um, 11 churches to be exact, across the city, centered in different neighborhoods. We were Trinity, Grace, and then whatever your neighborhood was, and it was a beautiful run. But in 2018, TGC decentralized and every neighborhood church became its own entity. And we all were left kind of asking the question, what will we do? What will we do with our name? How will we relate to each other? At that point, you know, what held us together was largely our name. I mean, you would visit one parish or another and you'd be like, wait, how do these churches connect? How do these churches belong to each other? And it was the relationships, yes, but the organization was a big part of that. And one by one, the Trinity Grace churches across the city, many of them, started changing their names. TGC Upper East Side and TGC Midtown became Church of the City. TGC Queens became Wellspring. TGC Crown Heights became Reconcile Brooklyn. TGC East Village became Sanctuary. Recently, TGC Chelsea just became Hope Church Chelsea. And there were only four churches left that kept the name, two in Manhattan, two in Brooklyn, and I think we were on a little bit of a standoff to see who would, who would be the last to, to, to budge. And initially, I didn't wanna change the name. I mean, there was a lot of change going on, and I liked the name. But increasingly, it became a challenge. People constantly confused us uh, from the beginning with Trinity, Trinity Wall Street. So I'd be like, they'd be like, what do you do? I tell them, uh, what church are you part of? Trinity Grace. Oh, yeah, I know that church, love that church, classic, historic. And while I do think of us in those terms, I knew exactly the misunderstanding that had taken place. Um, Evangelical theological geek types continually mistook TGC for the Gospel Coalition, which if you know us or you know them, you know that's kind of a laugh. I can't tell you how many times we've been called Grace Trinity, even among us, even as early as recent as last week. Um, it just constantly was, was happening. And these aren't the main reasons, but initially I did, didn't want to change the name, but so much was happening, and there was this other thing that started to happen. A, a wave of momentum started to, I think, sort of come over us, a wave of inspiration where we thought, this is an opportunity. This is a chance for us, given our history, knowing who we are, having grown a little bit, to be able to define and design our future together. To be able to bring new language around our distinctives and our values, and to sort of chart a course into the future with a new sense of enthusiasm and excitement. And so, we began to think, what kind of name and what kind of language could we put around that? We had several criteria for the name, share a few of those with you. First of all, we wanted it to feel like a church. Um, There are lots of names out there that churches take up, And, and listen, the ethos of our church I think is hospitable, I think it's open, I think it's creative and experimental, I think it's invitational, yes, yes to all that. But we aren't a club, we're not a fashion brand or a restaurant, and we didn't want a name that you could be easily mistaken for either. Although a fashion brand like All Saints really is pushing the boundary of (laughs) what that's like. We wanted something that felt classic and established, historic even. Something that when spoken, people would say, oh, that sounds like a church. But we also wanted a name that reflected our sense of identity. We wanted a name that reflected and nourished our sense of purpose together. Something that inspires and nurtures and keeps us accountable to who we've been and to who we want to become. Finally, we wanted a name that had flexibility as we scale throughout the years. Our hope is that we wouldn't just be an isolated neighborhood church. That's part of the reason we moved here to the Chapel of the Good Shepherd and General Seminary. It's part of the reason that uh, we're constantly reaching out to other uh, churches, to other denominations, to build bridges and to create connections. But our hope is, as our community it grows, and it expands, that we're able to connect to other parts of the city and not be isolated. We'd love to have gatherings and ministries and partners everywhere. We also hope to be generating content. We're going to be doing that this year, and we hope to do more of it in the years to come to take our experiences and the wisdom of this community and share it with the larger community that we call the Church with a capital C. So we wanted a name that was agile enough to be able to work with that. And so this morning I'd like to announce the new name and then I'd like to share with you a little bit of the vision behind it. Are you ready? All right. So I'm thrilled to announce that beginning the week of Easter, Trinity Grace Tribeca will become Good Shepherd New York. I'll take that applause as as not an interesting better than that. Why Good Shepherd? Why Good Shepherd? Um, our gospel reading today is from Jesus, Jesus making a definitive statement about his identity. It's one of the several I am statements in the gospel according to John. And as a church that's obviously rooted in the person of Jesus, we wanted to reflect on this I am statement as it co- pertains to our community and our identity. I-, I love this image and this symbol of the Good Shepherd. For me, it captures everything that we are about, the best of our past, and what we aspire to in the future, specifically in this city. This city is a pressure cooker. And so many people, when they talk about their experience in New York, talk about it in terms of the pressure. You're drawn here because of your work. There are high expectations that come with your work. There is a a high degree of pressure managing your work with your, your actual life. If you're married or have children or have friendships or any kind of social life you're constantly juggling the relationship between the high pressure nature of the city of this work i mean to walk you're in the elements whether it's hot or cold there's just crowd and there's people and there's there's so much going on it's what we love and it's also what's challenging about living here and i think the church is at its best when it's pastoral you know that language pastoral comes from the language of a shepherd It's the activity of a shepherd. And pastoral um, sensibilities, pastoral instincts are all about concrete reality. Like you can put the ideas and the theories and the frameworks. You can put them in another place. And what we want to talk about when we're talking pastoral is like, well, how's it actually working? What are our actual lives looking like right now? Um, how, are, how is it translating this thing we're doing on Sunday or Wednesday or however we're organized as a community, how is that actually connecting the dots to our, our real lives with our real challenges? Pastoral sensibilities have an ear to the ground and they think from the ground up. And that's the great gift that pastoral theology offers, say opposed to like systematic theology that has people in the ivory towers sort of speculating and riffing on the tradition, which is beautiful and needed, but it's the pastoral theology That is the great gift, and it's needed, I think, more than ever. It's one of the reasons that Pope Francis has had so much resonance, even beyond the Catholic Church, because pastoral instincts, shepherding instincts, put people over things, put people over ideas, put people over institutions, whenever those two seem to butt heads. We see Jesus doing this constantly. So I love the possibility of what it means to take on this name as a symbol of who we are as a community in a city like ours. I'm going to give you three reasons. First of all, our city tends to foster relationships that are transactional. Our city fosters relationships that are transactional. And listen, I'm not going to hate on networking culture because I think networking culture is cool. It's like one of the uh, things that makes this city work. you got to do it often for your job Um, and it's just a it is a reality so you talk about pastoral instincts that is a reality that's not going to change but how do we manage that reality you know in this text Jesus says these words the good shepherd lays down their life for the sheep but then he sets up a contrast notice what he says the hired hand is not the shepherd so when they see a wolf coming they abandon the sheep and they run away So we see here a good shepherd caring, a good shepherd laying down its life, making sacrifices. And I think the question that we wanna ask as we consider this reality as a church and the symbol of the good shepherd, it'll be on the wall. Is this question about can we transcend self-interest in a city like New York? Can we transcend self-interest? We have a lot of hired hand relationships in this city a sense in which we give in order to get. And there's some kind of calculus always in the background of what we've offered and what we expect to receive in return. We don't ask for too much if we haven't given enough, and we don't want to give too much if we haven't received enough. There's always that sense looming in the air of balancing the networking equations. In this environment, care can be present, but it's often artificial. It feels a little bit hollow. The care that we might receive in our networking cultures is often self-referential. It's self-interested. And networking is very important to the city. We've all engaged in it. We have to engage in it. But networking will, will not give you roots here. Networking will not give you a safety net when the wolves of this city come to devour you. Networking will not heal your soul or transform you in the way of love. In fact, at its worse; it might undermine the way of love. We all probably have this sense within us of people are drawn to me because of fill in the blank. People want to meet with me, they want to talk with me, they want to get to know me because of blank. And every one of us fill in the blank in a different way. It could be something you're talented at, it could be your position that has a level of power to it. It could be a level of status that you share because of your achievement, your accomplishment, who you are. It could be your wealth. It could be anything in this city that is attractive and desirable. It's often the thing that we have a sense that this is why people are connected to me. This is why people are interested in me. And this, my friends, is where I think the possibility of the church is staggering. Because we are a community that can transcend that instinct. We are a community that can create a kind of network of relationships that give us roots that, that create an ecosystem for our own healing and for our well-being when wolves are present on the periphery. The first big official thing we ever did as a church before we launched on Sunday mornings was we had a vision night. My wife and I, our family, we lived here for about a year. At that time, we only had two kids. So, you know, we're like right down the middle and now we're <laughs> whatever we are. But we had, we had a family of four and we just planted our life in the neighborhood. And our hope was to build a neighborhood church. You know, we were part of this big family of churches. And we just got to know people. We invited them into our homes. We met with them. um, We networked. (laughs) And at the end of that year, we called people together for like a vision and prayer night. And we went around the room and we just gave people the opportunity to say, what are you excited about when you think about the possibility of a church in this city and in this neighborhood? And it was a really powerful, beautiful night. I was able to share my own sense of vision at the time. And what was true then is true now. And as I've reflected on it, it's been even more profound because I think of the staying power of what my instinct was in that moment. And what I shared with the community was uh, a reflection on uh, Jesus' letter to the church in Revelation. A very apocalyptic, wild book, but then at the very beginning you got these straightforward letters, so it's pretty nice. And in these letters, they're, they're written to communities in different cities. And the one letter that I focused on was a city that I felt like resembled New York quite a bit. It was a city that was known for its self-sufficiency, for its accomplishment, for its achievement. And the letter, the tone of the letter, is to cut through the sort of illusion of control, the illusion of what we know as sort of flexing our resume virtues, and to get to the heart of the situation, the human condition. And what what the letter says, in essence, is you think you are self-sufficient and in need of nothing. That's the illusion. But then he offers the reality, and he says the reality is you're actually poor, and you're blind, and you're pitiable, and you're naked. Which are all ways of saying you're vulnerable. There is an essential vulnerability under all the armor that you're putting out there. And you're out of touch with that vulnerability. You're out of touch with your weakness. You're out of touch with your need. And so there's an invitation that comes. And the invitation is simply this. He takes the metaphors of the industries of that city. So for the finance folks, he says, come, buy from me gold refined by fire. Or to the fashion folks, come and buy white garments to cover your nakedness and shame. Or to the medical industry says, come to me and buy salve for your eyes that you might see. And that was powerful. But then the reality started to pour in. You know, a few weeks later, someone called me from our, our, our little young community and their life was falling apart. A wolf was at the door, so to speak. And this would be someone you look to and you go, they're very successful, they seem to have it together, but life was coming apart at the seams. And as we sat together and we wept together and we prayed together, I had this sense of confirmation, this is what our community is about. When we had our retreat um, with the elders and staff last summer, we, we put a whiteboard out and we said, what are the best stories of our community? And we just started highlighting them one by one over the last six, seven years. What are the best stories of our community? And the common thread almost in all of them was the way the church rallied around people in their moment of crisis the way when someone's life was falling apart or when they lost a sense of control, the church was present and showed up and was caring. They weren't the hired hand, right? And this has been true all along. In this city, you need a community who can walk with you in those moments when others will bail, when others would perhaps cancel you, when others would ghost you or maybe disappear. Our core values And our distinctives, which we've been exploring over the last couple of months, they set us up to do this. That you know, curiosity enables us to to transcend transaction, generosity, unity and diversity intention, creativity, thinking of creative ways to get around these concrete, difficult realities of the city. And so the question I have for you as we think about this first reason why we are Good Shepherd, is. Do you have relationships that transcend self-interest in your life? Are you the kind of person and becoming the kind of person that can transcend self-interest? The second reason that we, we decided on the name Good Shepherd is because this is a city that can foster anonymity and isolation. We all know it. Um, it's, it's actually one of the draws for many to come into this city. You come from the little town where everybody knows you and it can feel suffocating and then all of a sudden you come to the city and it's like, <gasps> breathing room. And then you realize how small the city is when you bump into people all over the place, but that's another story. Anonymity and isolation. Yes, it's a diverse city. Yes, we're all on top of each other, but the level, the, the, the quality of the connections, given the proximity, is not usually very strong. And the quality of connections within the diversity is often not something we're gravitating toward. Why? Because that takes energy. It does take energy to move across the aisle to people who are different than you, who have a different religion than you, who have a different uh, place of origin than you, a different culture, a different ethnicity, a different sexuality. Like that takes energy. And frankly, we often are like pedal to the metal in this city and what margin do we have to do that so what do we do we gravitate gravitate toward like-minded people and one of the things about uh, jesus statement in this gospel text we'll put it on the wall is he says this this interesting thing he says i know my sheep and my sheep know me just as my father knows me and i know the father what jesus is describing here is a spirituality of intimacy A spirituality that cultivates a sense of intimacy with God. And a a spirituality which cultivates and invites us into intimacy with each other. A good shepherd knows the sheep, is involved, is engaged. They're not transactional and just in and out for whatever benefit. And that's the kind of community that we want to build. It's the kind of community at our best that we have built. Intimacy is at the heart of everything. You know, Jesus said at one point, he talked a lot about eternal life, but Jesus said at the heart of life is intimacy. In John 17, when he's actually explaining what eternal life is, he does it in terms of intimacy. He says, this is eternal life, that you would know me and that you would know God. Always couched in intimacy. Life is about knowing and being known. And what makes life sing is not just when we're known, but when we're embraced when we're known and we're accepted, when we're known and we are loved. This is the city of meritocracy. And as I said, we're all flexing our resume virtues in the words of David Brooks. Everyone's faking it till they make it. Everyone's hustling, everyone's winging it. Everyone is in brand mode 24 seven or sell mode. Where can you let your guard down? Where can you take your armor off? Where can you be known? Our approach to community has always been that we can't promise it. Because community is based on love and you can't control love. We can create opportunities for connection, but I can't promise that what you will bring to this community will translate into friendship or love. Or that what others are bringing to their relationships with you will translate to that. But what we can do is we can cast vision, we can cultivate a spirituality that opens us up to the possibility of it and allows us to sustain those kind of relationships. We can create opportunities for connection. So when we go apple picking in the fall or we do our Fat Tuesday dinner or we offer these seasonal groups or even these Sunday gatherings where we have some soft touches with each other, these are moments when we can rub shoulders and move toward each other. It's one of the reasons we have our contemplative bent. You know, like the city's loud and it's in your face and it's crunchy. And when you come to church, if you get the same exact thing, a spirituality of loud and noise and and activity, I mean, that can be cool for a while. We all need to express it in that way sometimes. But man, we need the contrast here. We need to be able to be quiet, to pay attention, to listen. So much of our spirituality suffers when we don't create contemplative space like that. And especially in this city. How can you have intimacy if you don't have space to cultivate it? One of the things that David Gungor likes to teach the youth is you'll never know God. You'll never hear the voice of God unless you learn to be bored. And I think that's so healthy. We live in a, a very like stimulating city and we need spaces where we can frankly be bored. I mean like some of the stuff we do is boring, it just is. And I don't like, you know, the, 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 the salesman in me is like, oh, can we, can we add a little more intrigue in that? I don't know. But what we want to do is create an environment where we know God and we know each other, and that's how we're designed, and that's how we want to improve over the years. Finally, this is a city that fosters relationships that are tribal. I think that's where we are at large, but I think the city also amplifies it for the reasons I've already mentioned. There's safety and comfort in people who are like you, who share a culture with you. And as I shared in our unity diversity talk, yes, we want to create a sense of cohesion a sense of community a sense of us but we only want a sense of us that leads us to solidarity beyond us if our sense of us sets us in competition with others or over against others it's not in the spirit of jesus the church has gotten this very wrong over the years jesus said in this text i have other sheep that are not from this fold i must bring them also They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock. And here's the question that I'd like to ask on the wall here. Can we be a unifying voice? Jesus presents himself as a unifying voice. He's aware there are people here in this fold and there are others outside of the fold. And his sense is, hey, there's going to be resonance beyond the fold. There will be a bridge that can be built in here and out there. The kind of unity Jesus builds isn't a unity that stands over and against. It's an, a, a, a one that builds bridges across the divide. Which, just to summarize is, as a church called Good Shepherd, we're always trying to expand the we. Always trying to build bridges and solidarity across different boundaries. I grew up in the religious South. Although I was born in Chicago, let it be known. But... Um, I grew up in the religious south and I, I was a part of a little church and you know what I found out very quickly? There are purity codes. Purity codes that like marked the, the admission into the community and then maintained the boundaries of the community. And the reason I know that is when we started being a part of this little Baptist church, my dad who drank beer with no problem before, now when a, some, someone visited from the church had me smuggle the beer through the back door for fear of being seen. And I knew, something is going on here. There's an invisible something happening here. I'm not quite sure what it is. We all know that. It's famous for religious communities, but I think now it's all over the place. We're seeing this not just in the religious right. We're seeing it in the religious left. We're not just seeing this in the politically right. We're seeing this in the political left. There are purity codes that produce a sense of in and out of disgust with those who disagree, of shame for affiliation with those who you disagree with or who have violated your sense of what's right and what's good. Now we have new sins, new orthodoxies, new heretics, new exclusive institutions and communities, and they transcend religion. We're in a culture of polarizing purity codes, and we need a pastoral presence that can unify people, that can humanize the other group or the other opinion we have to expand the we you know Jesus says the wolves their effect is they scatter but the shepherds effect is they gather they draw in they bring along they don't cut losses and that's what I love about this can there be a listening and a receptivity beyond our tribe can there be a sense of glue that we hold each other together when we come up against different dispositions and opinions, boy, this is where church gets heated. And the Protestant dilemma is we just divide when we disagree, well aware of that. That's why churches pop up all over. Now listen, we're a provisional church. Like we're not Catholic, we're not Orthodox, we're not Episcopal. We're not a part of another denomination as well. And part of that is we are casting a net and meeting a need, but we also don't think we're good enough all by ourselves like we need to be connected to the whole offering our feedback offering our experience because we don't want to just burn it all down we want to build this thing up we want to move it into the future and we're independent not just because we think we're right about everything we're independent because we have those pastoral instincts people are getting cast aside they're they're not resonating or there's something off about how most of these things are operating we just want to create some space where there is resonance where we have some freedom to experiment but then we can offer that to the whole so in a city that fosters relationships that are tribal, we're asking the question, can we be a unifying voice? Now, I want to close with this. All this happens in the context of the freedom of love. Jesus says, I lay, my down, my, I lay down my life, yes, but I lay it down of my own accord. And we want to create the space in this community for there to be the freedom of love. It's one of the reasons we're a front door back to our church. Like many people here, this is their first meaningful religious experience. And we have many people here who this is their last stop on the way out. And the common denominator there is a space and a spirit of freedom. People don't feel coerced or pressured to believe something or to behave in a certain way in order to belong. That there's space here to be who you are authentically and to be on a journey with a community. And one of the things that I think that makes us beautiful and what makes Jesus love beautiful is it has that effect on others. He says, I have authority to lay my life down. And the community Jesus invites people into is a community where you get your authority. You you live with dignity. If what it means to be in the image of God is vulnerability and authority, this is a community that needs to nurture both. You need to have your own voice. You need to have your own opinions. But we need to be connected somehow in that and to learn how to move toward each other. That's what it means to be good shepherd. And so I simply invite you at the end to imagine the future with us. Over the next six weeks, we're going to be highlighting ministries that make our church our church. And we're going to be talking about where we're headed in 2020 and what we celebrate from 2019 and to build a sense of um, excitement and buy-in and let you imagine, what, what role can I play in this as we move forward as a community? But I couldn't be more thrilled to do it with you and to do it in this time. So, Good Shepherd, let's stand.
0: Thank you for listening to the Trinity Grace Church podcast. Trinity Grace is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creed's. But we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you'd like to support us, please text TGC Downtown to 77977. That's TGC Downtown to 77977 or visit our website, tgcdowntown.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you may God's face shine upon you and may you be filled with peace hope and love